Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and today I'm pleased to be bringing a brand new episode to you with Dr. Emma Roth, oncology country head at Takeda UK and Eric Lowe, founder of Melanoma UK. Our chief commercial officer, Dan Healy, caught up with Emma and Eric to delve into two exciting white papers they helped to produce on the complex issue of combination treatments. It's a brilliant episode on a very important topic. So over to you, Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. My name is Dan Healy, and I'm Chief Commercial Officer over here at EMG Health. Today, I'm pleased to be speaking with Dr. Emma Roth, uh, Oncology Country Head at Takeda UK, and Eric Lowe, founder of Myeloma UK and head of Eric Lowe Consulting. How are you both doing today? Yeah, great. Thank you, Dan. Very well. Thank you very much. Great stuff. Well, lovely to meet you both. Excited about today's discussion. So I'll crack on. As, as a bit of an introduction, uh, Dr. Emma Roth is the Oncology Country Head for Takeda UK and Ireland, having joined the company's senior leadership team in 2018 after 15 years at Takeda. Throughout her professional career, she's helped to develop a number of key oncology medicines for Takeda and prior to this began her career in clinical research development at AstraZeneca. Joining her today for our conversation is Eric Lowe. Um, Eric's owner of Eric Lowe Consulting. He's worked with medical research charities for over 20 years and is committed to and focused on improving patient outcomes. In 2012, he was awarded an OBE for services to charity. So we're very excited to have both of you guys on the show today to talk about combination treatment landscape, discussing everything from current challenges to some exciting solutions. So let's begin with, I mean, you, you guys both have very extensive backgrounds in the medical research field, but I'd love to dig into what motivated you to, to enter this landscape. And perhaps we'll start with you, Emma. Yeah, I mean, industry, pharma industry was always a, an area that has interested me. I actually started to do um, clinical medicine when I was at university and I very quickly moved into the research side of things um, and then naturally fell into clinical research and you know fundamentally what is it that drives me to continue in this area it's about making sure that patients get access to new and innovative treatments diseases are becoming more and more complex and therefore treatments have to become more complex too and you know Every day, there's a different challenge and, and something else to, to, to focus on. And, you know, that's exciting. But ultimately, what is it that drives me? It's about making sure that we get these, these medicines to, to patients that need them. Super. Thanks, Emma. And what about from your side, Eric? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll try and give you the short, the short answer. I mean, I hadn't planned to be in this industry at all. Um, when I graduated from university, I took a year out and traveled around the world. And on my penultimate stop, uh, I visited my uh, uncle and, and aunt in the US and I had the opportunity through them to volunteer for a myeloma charity. Um, and I did that. And, and I think that when I was sort of exposed to, to, to cancer, to patients, to families, I was struck about my ignorance of cancer that I'd lived for two decades. And apart from my mum's best friend dying of breast cancer, hadn't really been exposed to cancer or thought about it. And I was shocked at, at that actually. Uh, and the second thing is that the unmet need that patients 
had, and, and this was nearly 30 years ago, the unmet need that, that the patients had. And, and when thinking about meeting these needs and talking about bone marrow transplants or this treatment or that treatment, and actually just a listening ear uh, could make a transformative difference to patients sending out a crucial bit of information, being at the end of the phone, answering questions, putting them in touch with other patients was actually trans, tra- transformational. So on, on, on both accounts, I, I suddenly got, got this desire to, to be an entrepreneur for patients and to do the best I could for patients. And I subsequently came back to the UK, uh, set up a myeloma organization in the UK. And I guess the rest is, the rest is history. I've been doing it almost now for three, for, for three decades super thanks guys it, it's always interesting to see people's different motivations and how, how they uh how they ended up in the in, in the similar field um you can tell from both both your answers there how important patients are and how it always comes back to the patients and obviously helping them with the challenges there but maybe i'll go to yourself eric could, could you elaborate on the the challenges currently facing combination treatments with regard to impact on patients and the wider pharma industry so, so, so combinations is, is the issue of combination medicines is, is very problematic, has been described as being in the too hard to fix box and not on people's top 10 things that kind of need fixed. Thankfully, now it's, it's out of the too hard to fix box and Takeda and other stakeholders are now keenly focused on, on finding solutions. Most cancers, most rare diseases neurological diseases, lysosomal disorders, uh, ha- have a gap between the unmet needs of patients in terms of uh, the need for new treatments, safe and effective treatments, and the treatments that are available. And therefore, when you develop combination medicines that have been proven to be safe and effective, and we're unable to get these medicines to patients because of some perverse aspects of the system, it, it's unacceptable. When any patient or, and their family come to terms with a diagnosis of a life-limiting or a severe chronic debilitating disease, it, it's a real shock to the system. But, but eventually, patients and, and their families come to terms with it. And part of coming to terms with a diagnosis or a relapse after previous successful or unsuccessful um, treatment is the knowledge and understanding that there there's hope however sometimes there are no treatments available in specific diseases especially rare diseases and and that's tough for patients to come to terms with but they do come to terms with it because it's a fact you can't give a treatment to a patient if it doesn't exist but where treatments do exist and patients can't get access to them that is very very difficult and kind of a massive impact emotionally and psychologically on, on, on patients and their families. And not only that, um, patients in the past have taken part in, in clinical trials uh, to help prove that this new combination is helpful and is better than what we do now. And one of the most important premises of any clinical trial is that patients that go into trials may or may not benefit so it, it's a tremendous uh, effort from patients to go into clinical trials. 
And in a scenario where we get positive results from clinical trials, but we're not able to translate these results into benefit for future patients is a disaster and it's not ethical. So on several levels, not only is there a huge impact on patients by not being able to get access to combination medicines that have been proven to be safe and effective, albeit not cost-effective, we're duty-bound ethically to find solutions to make sure future patients benefit from the efforts of patients in the past going into clinical trials. And it's incredibly frustrating and difficult for doctors who are trying to do their best against all odds and helping patients live longer and with a better quality of life. And they know that there's safe and effective treatments in the cupboard, but they're unable to get access to them because we haven't quite worked out how to make combinations cost-effective. So incredibly challenging for doctors to, to stay driven, stay passionate, uh, and actually stick within a disease area that, that they can evolve, they can impact, they can uh, drive forward because this inability to get access to combination medicines. Many of these doctors are also involved in, in research. And although the combination medicine challenge is a global problem, when you put it in the context of other things that happen in the UK in terms of market access challenges, it makes it difficult for UK researchers to persuade the pharmaceutical industry to invest in the UK, to open up their, their regulatory studies and other studies in the UK, and in situations where clinicians might want to do an academic-led study, it, it often impacts on a company, a pharmaceutical company's decision to invest in that country if the standard of care is seen as being suboptimal or, or out of sync with what's happening in other countries. And then finally, I guess, and importantly, from a pharmaceutical industry perspective, if in, in the UK and in other key markets, they continue to struggle to get approvals for combination medicines where uh, the trial has been well designed, that the comparator is appropriate, we've got the data to show the drug works and it's safe, but because of some curiosities in the system, we can't get that drug approved for issues of cost effectiveness, then they may choose not to continue to invest in combination medicines and take an easier route and may bring me two things to market that, that already are paid for, which really stifles in innovation. In a situation where a drug company hasn't done the right trial, it hasn't got the right comparator, doesn't have the right endpoints, or has a single arm phase two study, then the system may be quite within its rights to challenge and push back as to not making the drug available. But in situations where we have the data, it's, it's pretty criminal, actually, that we don't have the mechanisms to approve these drugs. So, so I guess these are three examples of where the issue is impacting on, on patients, clinicians, and researchers, and, and the pharmaceutical industry. Thanks, Eric. Emma, from your side, is there anything you'd want to add to that? Yeah, no, thanks, Dan. So um, I think just to, to, to highlight actually when this challenge actually first sort of came to the fore. And, and really, it was back in 2014 when NICE actually commissioned the Decision Support Unit 
um, to, to look into the specific challenge of combination medicines. And they published a, a report also in 2014 that really highlighted one of the fundamental challenges, and which is why, you know, Takeda and, and all the stakeholders have really looked into this. And that's that there were situations where new medicines, so these add-on medicines, could actually be not cost effective, even if they were priced at zero. So essentially given away. And these were medicines that were having clinical benefit for patients. And it was this scenario that really made everybody sit up and look and think, hang on, that isn't right. We need to look into this. We need to find a solution. It's really important to get the get the context around this. So I appreciate the um, the granularity you've got into just to understand really how significant these challenges are. There's a big challenge between talking about it and actually doing something about it. So it'd be interesting um, from your side, Emma, can you tell us what Takeda is proposing as a solution for specifically improving access to combination treatments? Yeah, no, no, thanks, Dan. So Obviously, this is this is a, a, a challenge, as Eric said, has has really been sitting in the too hard to, to solve box for for a number of years now. And actually, Takeda started looking at this back in twenty seventeen, um, and it you know any solution isn't going to happen quickly, and it hasn't been developed quickly. And what's what's really key is that number of people and the different stakeholders that actually are interested in this area is, is wide ranging. So of course, there's the pharmaceutical industry of which Takeda is, is just one. And it covers many different disease areas. Oncology or cancer is one area, and obviously that's very applicable to, to, to me and my role within Takeda. But there's other areas where combination medicines is very much how diseases are being treated um, moving forward. So what we looked to do was to pull together experts from across academia, so particularly people who are health economics experts. We also look to engage with the clinical and patient communities as key stakeholders in this challenge as well. But importantly, any solution would have to be transactable and implementable. And therefore, we had to get expert input from um, representatives from NICE and from the NHS, because we had to ensure that it, it fit with both current processes from a health technology appraisal perspective, but also how we could then actually put it into practice with how medicines are funded, for example, within the UK. So working in partnership with representatives from all of these groups, we then looked to develop two white papers. And each of these white papers tackles a slightly different perspective of this, this issue. So the first one really looks at how we can attribute value across the different components of a combination medicine. So usually a combination medicine exists of a, of a backbone treatment, which is often an already existing or um, standard of care treatment. And then you look at adding something on top. And so that might be the, the add-on treatment. And what we need to do is find uh, 
a technical way of being able to identify how much of the value of that combination can be attributed to the backbone and attributed to the add-on medicine. So that's one part of the proposal. So more of the technical way of how we align and uh, split the value. The second is more around uh, implementation framework or standard operating procedure. And it's how we can actually implement the value attribution and how two companies, so often the backbone company and the manufacturer of the add-on um, treatment are two completely different companies. Now, as a challenge for us as an industry is that as soon as we start talking about value, then you have the challenge of competition law. And therefore, it was really critical that we found a way and a method that meant that we can actually compliantly, two companies can engage and talk about the value that this combination offers and how that then aligns across the two elements and the, the two different companies' treatments. And so that's what the second white paper looks to do. And it and it's also sets the um, framework and the process aligned with existing UK procedure for, for reimbursement. So, for example, the NICE process. And again, that is absolutely critical. Whatever was proposed has to fit with existing processes and also, um, for example, the, the current framework um, that pharmaceutical medicines um, work to, so the voluntary scheme for, for branded medicines. And it's important that ultimately any solution can be embedded into that arrangement and, and, and agreement. I think what's also really important to, to note, Dan, is that this is just one proposed solution that Takeda um, has, has looked at and worked with these stakeholders on. There are others that are also being developed. For example, the ABPI is also looking at a, a proposal. So it's important that actually we, we do bring and others bring forward their own suggestions and proposals. And I think it will probably end up being a combination of, of these that will actually be what is finally implementable and can be applied. But importantly, it's moved from that box of being too hard to, to deal with to actually now seeing that there could be, I suppose, a solution at the end of the tunnel. But I think what I want to say is that this is just one potential solution. And it's out there, we've, we've, we've published now the, the two white papers, and it is there to, to gather feedback from the community and from stakeholders. And we want to have that critique and that feedback because without that, we won't get to the solution that actually will be able to be implemented and applied for youth for the UK, but also other markets. So I think just a, this is one potential solution. And we are relying on others to bring their solutions to the fore as well, um, so that we can all work together to, to, to get to that final implementable um, solution to the combination medicines challenge. Awesome. Thank you, Emma. Really, really exciting to see that. And like you said, the key thing is on that is 
all those different groups are looking for to find that solution there is alignment there but like you point out correctly there's a lot of challenges to to overcome in in terms of getting there so um if, if i can go across to yourself eric and i'm interested to find out in an ideal world uh, i know we don't live in an ideal world but in an ideal world what further improvements do you see down the line for combination treatments um so so i think that i mean f- first thing is just to sort of i guess pay tribute to if that's the right phrase to the efforts of of Takeda because it's been an unusual approach in in my career it's not normal for 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 the pharmaceutical industry to uh, begin policy projects with the end in mind uh, being so open to involve all other stakeholders as we discussed before, have different interests, different incentives, different rewards, different remits and kind of frameworks. So credit to Takeda, and and, and I haven't been involved in a project like this in my entire career. As to your question, Dan, I I think I first of all go back to what I I said at the beginning is that we have to see the the issue of combination medicines in, in the context of these wider system problems that we have and challenges in in how patients ultimately get access uh, to treatments. So I think for the future, what I would kind of like to see and what I hope for is in the short term that we have a solution to the the immediate problem of of combination medicines in so much as uh, a solution or a range of solutions are, are sort of approved, whatever that means, but approved by stakeholders as being implementable and transactable and used by industry and the community in the context of, for example, in the context of England, they're, they're nice submissions. And it's only after companies begin to use the methodology as part of their submission, as part of their value proposition, as part of their economic model, and we, we get responses from nice and the ERG will, will we begin to understand if if this new methodological approach is making a difference in solving the problem. So, so my hope is that, that we can get to the point where we have an implementable and adoptable solution and that companies use it in their submissions so we can figure out if it, if it works or not. Slightly more longer term than that, what I would like to see is, 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 is the solution moving backwards into drug development and clinical trials and us thinking about how do we think about the concept of a combination coming through the system rather than individual drugs that make up a combination because i think if we can fix it at the research design stage then the need for these complex and difficult solutions um uh, downstream of that become become less so it, it's a little bit about fixing the, the system at the hta uh, commissioning bit now and in the future, but ultimately we need to start to rethink how we do evidence development in a combination uh, context so that we take the pressure off the system of having to find quite difficult solutions uh, at the time of an HTE appraisal. So so that that's my ideal world. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Um, so obviously, short term, it's about getting that immediate solution, but longer term, it's almost about trying to fix the system, going back, a, going back a few steps. Yeah. It's almost the the difference between the 
the uh, the cast and the sticky plaster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for both of you and for, for lots of us, it's been a busy and exciting year. Um, would you be able to pick one standout moment so far this year? And if, if we could start with yourself, Eric. Well, for, I guess from a, a, a work per perspective, I think there... Uh, I, I guess there's one. Um, it, it's it's not a revolutionary standout moment, but I think the publication of the UK framework for rare diseases and and the sort of better approach in regards to its implementation from a sort of UK wide perspective, I, I guess, has been a bit of a a bit of a standout, and I think it, it offers the platform and 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 the hope that things might get better and change across across the system but 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 I go back to the sort of analogy of the theory of change and the theory of action is that the opportunity is there um, but we could snatch defeat from the jaws of victory if that opportunity isn't realized in sensible ways and that the the, the recommendations and the direction of travel is appropriately implemented and and, and measured. Um, so, so that, from a work perspective, is, is 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 the standout for me so far this year. Awesome, thanks, Eric. And what about from your side, Emma? Yeah, no, no thanks, Dan. And I think I can truly say that seeing a challenge that for too long has been sitting in the too hard to fix box, and to when we had the second white paper finished and our proposal finalised and published, that, that has to be the standout moment. You know, this is, this is combination medicines. It's, it is a challenge, not just for us in the UK. It's actually, a, you know, a worldwide challenge. And nobody has been able to tackle this yet. And the fact that Takeda, together with all of the stakeholders that we work with, actually grabbed the challenge by the scruff of its neck and thought, we're not going to drop it until we have something that we can put on the table as a proposal. Then, you know, to me, that that is just standout. And, you know, everyone involved in, in the project um, really should be very proud of, of the achievement that, that, they've, that they've had. Awesome. Thanks, Emma. Thanks. That's really interesting to hear from you guys. And it's, I suppose, the exciting thing is that the the biggest standout moments in combination treatments are uh, are in front of us. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Emma and Eric for taking the time out to join us on the show. It's been fascinating to learn about why combination treatments have been such an ongoing challenge, as well as of the potential solutions that are being actioned by Takeda and other stakeholders. So thank you for tuning in this week. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. We have new episodes out every Tuesday. And if you just can't wait till then, go and check out the brilliant articles, interviews and more in our sister publication, Gold Magazine 2. So until next week, take care and goodbye for now.